uh, my wife tells me that I'm becoming kind of like an absent-minded professor in our house, and uh, she'll be talking to me, and I'll be staring off in space somewhere, and I'm not sure that's a good thing, um, but uh, I'm sure for Linda it's probably not a good thing, but we won't go there right now. Um, <clears throat> so, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking together at some practices, uh, some practices for faith, some ways of trying to get the most out of our spiritual lives together. Um, as we, we're going to work through these practices, um, there are lots of different practices. So what I'm thinking we're going to do is we're going to have an interlude of a couple of practices for the next couple of weeks, including today. And then I'm going to do a series on leadership, uh, utilizing Brene Brown's newest book, Dare to Lead. Uh, as a, a basis for some of the material, as well as, no surprise, the Bible. Uh, and speaking of the Bible, we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about sacred reading. Um, how do we make our reading sacred? How do we make connecting with the stories that God has shared with us through the uh, through the power of the Bible, how do we make those stories real for us in ways that speak to us? Because let's just be honest with each other, sometimes reading through the scripture, especially if we're trying to make it through numbers, I, my good friend Michael, uh, God rest his soul, told me that Numbers was one of his favorite books. I, I can't ask him now exactly what that was about. I'll have to wait for, uh, you know, the other side when we get there together, and I'll say, dude, numbers? Really? You know, you might as well have picked Leviticus. Uh, but, uh, see, and now I'm just throwing words around. See, there you go. How impressed, the biblical scholar that I am. Um, uh, the truth is, the Bible is a powerful book. And it's not powerful by just sitting here. The truth of the matter is, this book, for me, does not become sacred until I open it like this and I begin to read from it and let myself encounter God in these words. That's the purpose of this book. It's to point us to something beyond them. The book itself, the book itself you could use it if you wanted to, to prop open a door. Uh, or, uh, you know, to, to balance your projector at home because it's not pointing anywhere because it's just a book until you encounter the living God through the pages, until you pick this up and you let God speak to you through it, until you let the, the Spirit of God guide you through the dance that is the eternal love that God poured out from the beginning of this book to the end. And you want to get the most, as you, the most you can out of this book. It's not about quantity. It's not a transaction. I don't want you to feel like every day you need to sit down and make a plan that you're going to read an entire chapter or, God forbid, an entire book of the Bible, unless it's like Jonah. Jonah is a quick read. Uh, you know, there are several quick reads like that. It, it can be a quick read, but it can also be a very slow read. What I want you to do is imagine that instead of this just being a transaction, that this is an opportunity to fall in love with God. Because you can know a lot of things in your mind about God, but God wants you to love and be loved by God. Uh, God already loves you. We've already talked about this many, many times. 
No one argues with me about this, uh, you know, and you can argue with me all you want to. You can't make me unbelieve the fact that God already loves us. It's us who have a tough time loving God back sometimes, knowing what it means to really love this God. So how are we going to get at it? What are some practices that will help us, James, and especially to make this book come alive for us? Well, I want to talk to you today about what I can what is a fairly old way of reading Scripture. Older than, way before the Reformation in the 1500s, um, the church has read this book uh, in the way I'm going to describe to you uh, for more than a thousand years, probably maybe as much as 2,000 years, as a way of, uh, they codified it later on, wrote it down. So you begin by taking a passage of Scripture. I don't care what you take. You remember last week that I challenged you all at the end of my sermon? If you missed it, I can't hold you accountable for something you missed. So my challenge last week was to read, to spend the next month reading and rereading, if you will, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Well, I spent this week doing that, uh, except... I'll just be honest with you. It's always good. Confession's good for the soul. Thursday, I messed up. Thursday, I was reading along. I did all of my morning readings and everything else. I suddenly looked down and thought, I have got to get to the farmer's market before I go to my clergy meeting. So I have to leave. So I rushed off without reading, so I'm behind a little bit. But I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount the way I want to read the Sermon on the Mount, which is to say each day I have taken one of the Beatitudes. So instead of being on the seventh beatitude this morning, I was on the sixth because I missed Thursday. And I didn't want to just skip through it to miss it. So let me tell you a little bit about what it looks like to do what's called Lexio Divina, which just translates to sacred reading. That's all that it means. It's Latin. So you don't need the Latin words. Just make the text sacred for yourself. Make it holy. Make it speak to you as much as possible. So you begin by reading. And let me just tell you something. Reading out loud. I know you haven't done that since you were in elementary school. You hate when people do it. When I was in high school, periodically, when a teacher was trying to keep everybody on the same page, and it was the worst possible thing to do because everybody reads differently. I read terribly out loud. Um, you know, it's amazing they let me be a pastor reading out loud, because reading out loud is not one of my superpowers. Um, but reading it out loud to yourself so that you hear the words. Because the truth of the Bible is, it was originally spoken. It wasn't written down. It wasn't written down till long after it was first spoken. The stories were told over and over again. Long, somebody didn't sit down and just start at the beginning. In the beginning, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, and the earth, somebody didn't just sit down and start writing that down. They first began telling those stories, and because their memories are so much better than ours, they could tell the stories again and again and again in a fresh and lively way. And when you hear those stories, they say something different than sometimes when you just read them in your brain and you hear that monotone in your head when you're just reading to comprehend what the words say. I mean, think about it. These stories are meant to come alive. These promises, these laws, these ways to live wisely, these love stories, these stories of people who totally messed up 
are meant to be heard because they remind us of just how God loves us all. We are all part of this same story. You know, I'm no different than David, except I'm not king. You know, I make mistakes and fall down. Fortunately, I hasn't led to murder in my life yet. Um, and I'm not sure I could get away with it, even if I had Nathan as my prophet to come and pop up and talk to me about it. But I see myself in David. One minute fully in love with God, and one minute, you know, wondering where God went to. Where are you, dude? Or dudette, or whatever. <laughs> you know, where are you? I need you right now. Not next week, not 15 minutes from now, but now. Listen to the Psalms. Those speak powerfully. So you begin by reading, reading a passage out loud. Or if you know it, saying it out loud. So I chose a passage for us this morning. Now what's interesting to me is I originally memorized this in seventh grade. Joshua 1.8. I remember uh, when I, when it was, when I memorized it, there was in my church, my home church gave me uh, a copy of the Bible when I was in third grade. It was the Revised Standard Version. We have a new Revised Standard Version now. We have, uh, we keep translating the Bible. You know, everybody thinks they've got a new angle on it, so they keep translating. So in the Revised Standard Version, Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So when I say those words... I need for them to be more than just words I read out loud. Let me read these words to you. I'm reading to you from the Tanakh, which is the Jewish uh, translation of, uh, of the, the Bible. And since the Hebrew Bible was originally their book, I'm pretty confident that they have some idea what the original Hebrew means. That's just, uh, just a call on mine, but uh, that's what I'm thinking. So here is verse 8. Let not this book of teaching cease from your lips. It's a whole different feel to that. Let not this book of teaching cease from your lips, but recite it day and night, so that you may observe faithfully all that is written in it. Only then will you prosper in your understandings and undertakings, and only then will you be successful. Only then. Now, did you, did you feel kind of a different nuance to that, this book of... Now, what's interesting is, in the original Hebrew, HaTorah, the law. This book of the law shall not depart. That's absolutely true. But from our Hebrew sisters and brothers' understanding of this text, Jewish sisters and brothers' understanding of the text, it's the teachings. It's the teachings of Moses. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's the most important part for them. It shall... But they didn't say that you shall meditate on it day and night, that you should recite it day and night. Well, in an oral culture, you don't meditate on anything in here. You say it out loud, and as you hear it, it becomes a part of you. So what we do when we do Lexio Divina is we read it out loud. We read a text, whatever text it happens to be. In this case, it was Joshua 1.8. Did any words stand out to you when I read it to you? Let me read it to you again. This teaching, this let not this book of teaching cease from your lips, but recite it day and night, so that you may observe faithfully 
all that is written in it. Only then will you prosper in your undertakings, and only then will you be successful. Did a word stand out to you? Was God saying something to you when you listened to that? You begin to meditate on the text. The second step, the first text is to read it. The first step is to read it out loud. And if you can't read it out loud, if you're sitting in your cubicle at work, and you don't want to read it out loud, you can read it to yourself. But I think when you read it out loud, you hear it, and something something different happens when you hear it. I'm convinced, but read it, and then you meditate on it. Hmm, I wonder, what, wh- I wonder why the Revised Standard Version calls it the law. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And why the Tanakh says this, you know, group of teachings. I wonder why. You begin to ponder what those words mean to you. Why do they speak to you in a certain way? Why did the word meditate jump out at me? Or in this case, why did the word recite jump out to my Jewish sisters and brothers? Why did it jump out? What what did it say? Do you recite the scripture to yourself day and night that you're careful to do according to all that's written in it? Do you make it a part of your heart? When it's written on your heart, then you can live it. One of the dangers, I'm convinced, and one of the reasons why this book isn't so sacred if it just sits on your shelf is because how can you be expected to do according to all that's written in it if you've never cracked it? You've never even opened the page. I have a Bible or two on my home shelf. I just want to tell you it's one of the downfalls of being a pastoral person. You see a new version of the Bible, you buy it, you put it on your shelf. Oh, there's a new version. Oh, I'll buy it oh, but I only bought the version that didn't have the commentary in it. I should have bought the version with the commentary. So not only do I have this version, but I have this version with the commentary. Oh, but then there's the Wesleyan commentary on it. So now I have three copies of the exact same Bible translation with different footnotes. That's all that's in it, different footnotes. There are some Bibles on my shelf that I've just had to give away because I opened them in the bookstore to look at them and say, oh, I ought to have this. Then it came home, went on my shelf, didn't crack it again. It wasn't a sacred book to me. It was a placeholder on my shelf. So somebody else ought to get it. Somebody else ought to use it. Maybe somebody else will read it. So those are the Bibles I've given away. You know, uh, my good friend Harry didn't have a Bible of his own. So I gave him uh, one of my... uh, New Revised Standard Versions, back when he and I were living together in 1988. He didn't have his own Bible, so I gave him a copy of my Bible. Um, And he had the audacity to read it. Uh, And now he's a good United Methodist, whatever those are. And, you know, the intriguing thing is, this book becomes sacred when you read it, so you meditate on it. What is it saying to me? What do I think it's saying to me? What's going on in my mind when I hear these words? Is there something that stands out to me? Is there something, some word that's here that I don't understand? Because if there's a word that you don't understand, I don't know how meditating on it's going to help you any. And it's not cheating to look up words that you don't know what they mean or understand. That's the meditation point. Third, third piece that you do, pray. And by pray you say, God, I don't know how this is supposed to apply to my life this mean God can you open this up for me because I don't know 
when I hear the words, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. What is good success? What is prosperous? Is it the prosperity gospel, where as long as I love Jesus, I'll get piles of money? <laughs> uh, or is it something else? What does it mean to have a prosperous way of living? God, I don't know what that means. If I'm supposed to get piles of money, apparently I'm not living the right way. I'm not, you know, I'm not meditating on this book right. Because it is not like an ATM. Somehow there's no money coming out the side. I need to meditate on it harder. You know, really hit my head a couple of times with it. Maybe something's going to come out. What does a prosperous way mean? What does it mean to prosper? Does it mean a full life? Does it mean being satisfied with what I have? Is it wanting what I have or having what I want? I mean, what does that mean? God, help me. So then I pray. I pray that God will open up to me what this text is saying. What does it mean in my life? Now, I'm going to tell you something about reading the, the Bible. You think it's a bunch of static words on a page. Probably because... You, you wouldn't if you read it in like 10 different translations because you'd say, how did they get this out of this? You know, because translation, as my good friend Michael used to say as well, translation is interpretation. You know, you have to interpret the word. When they use the word ruach in Hebrew, it can mean breath, it can mean wind, it can mean spirit. Was it the breath of wind that was brooding over the waters? Was it the spirit of God that was brooding over the waters? Or was it the wind of God? You know, I don't know, which one? Well, one translation, they almost all pick spirit. But why can't it be the wind of God? What's the difference? Pick. Our Hebrew brothers and sisters were much more comfortable with ambiguity than we are. What does this mean for me, God? I can tell you that I have read the Bible. I won't say through and through because I can't tell you how many times I've done that. But I have read the same text multiple times over a lifetime. And it has said different things to me at different times. It has told me what I needed to hear when my life was coming unglued. It's also told me what, what I needed to hear when my life was completely together, which is an illusion, by the way. When you think your life's usually completely together, that's a complete illusion. But uh, I, I like to live with my illusionary world periodically. You know, uh, I live in my own illusions. So then after I've prayed for understanding, the fourth piece of Lexio Divina is, is called contemplation. I have to tell you that the monks all understood contemplation as a gift only from God, which is to say you may only get the first three. You may only read it out loud, meditate on it, pray about it. You may not get the gift of the presence of God coming alive for you in the text itself. You may, but you may not. But Lexio Divina is saying this text becomes sacred when I encounter God through it. And the only way I'm going to encounter God through it is to open it up and then to read from it and then to ask God what God, what, then to meditate on what I think it means for me and then to ask God what it means for me and then maybe to be completely enlightened that it means something completely different than I thought it meant to begin with. It's trusting God. It's trusting that God wants the very best for you. It's trusting that God loves you enough to know what you need to know and what you don't need to know. And in the end, 
What's most interesting to me is no matter how much you know about God from this book, you can only know God through love. And as much as I can read about love in this book, I can only experience God as a living person. I can see examples of love in here, powerful examples of love. I mean, who, what God do you know that comes in person and is willing to sacrifice life so you can know what love looks like? Give it all. Go all the way. Go the distance. What God do you know that goes the distance? What God do you know that dies? That's pretty uncomfortable. That's kind of a, sounds like kind of a wimpy God to me. But that's my God. And as Christians, that's our God. For our God's strength, as we define it, is not strength at all. Strength is found in weakness. Wisdom is found in foolishness. Ask Paul. Read, you know, read 1 Corinthians. God chose what is weak to shame the strong, what is foolish to shame the wise. Because God wants us to learn to love. So, James, I'm not sure that I should even read the book then. I should just go out and practice loving. That is not what I said. Because I do believe God still speaks to us. As James mentioned when he was talking earlier, uh, the other James, not that James. There are three of us here today. The fourth James is not here today, so we're at least, you know, down to three uh, at the moment. Um, he talked about Jesus as the living word. And that's true. These are words that witness to God. There is only one living word of God, and that is Jesus himself. And he lives and comes to us through this text. So I encourage you to make this text sacred for you. And you make it sacred. That's why it's called sacred reading. You make this text by picking it up and actually reading it. And you've got a good practice, got an easy practice for you. If you have not started reading, if you heard my challenge last week and you thought when you got up on Monday morning, I will just start reading that Sermon on the Mount. And Monday passed by and you hadn't done it yet. So Tuesday comes. You, 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 right before you're falling asleep, you're like, oh gosh, James challenged me to read the uh, stinking Sermon on the Mount. Fine, I'll do it. I'm going to do it tomorrow morning when I get up. Tuesday morning, definite. Tuesday morning comes, your alarm goes off, you don't get up, you don't get out of bed, you don't go, now you're late for work, you've got to go, you don't have time to read the book, so you say, fine, I'll have to do it later on. And later on becomes, right before you go to bed, you're laying down, you're going to sleep, crud, I was going to read the Bible today. All right, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, you know, uh, Captain Procrastinator, you know, I'll get to that eventually, you know, and so you get up on Wednesday, and by Wednesday you've even forgotten about the challenge to read the Sermon on the Mount, and so you come back on Sunday, and that James guy has the audacity to remind you that he challenged you to read the Sermon on the Mount last week, when you don't remember that he challenged you, 
Maybe you weren't even listening. You know, if you're at all like me, I'm not sure I always listen to me. It's all right. It is all right. I want to tell you that God's going to love you whether you read the Sermon on the Mount or not. But I think that you will learn something about who God is and who you are in God by reading the Bible as if the text was sacred, as if God had something to say to just you. Not to James, but to just you. Something you need to hear today. I think God has something to say to me every day. And some days I just am not interested in listening. But I go at it again, and I go at it again, and I go at it again. And some days I forget. I forgot on Thursday. Ran out of time. And then it never occurred to me to read it again. Never occurred to me. If you read the text with the expectation that God may show you something you need to know, you might be surprised. Because God might. But if you don't ever read it, I'll just give you a heads up. You won't. You won't be surprised by what happens in the Scripture because you won't ever read it. So you say, okay, well, great. Now I've got this new practice. I'm ready to put it to practice. What am I going to do with it? I don't know what you're going to do with it. Maybe this after, Maybe you don't wait till Monday. Maybe you say, you know, my team doesn't play until 4 o'clock, 4.15, 4.30 not a football fan no issue whatsoever but uh if your team maybe your team played on thursday you know the eagles played on thursday i know they got me 11 points their defense thank goodness on my uh you know i was very thankful so uh it, you know maybe your team's not playing today so you can go home this afternoon eat some lunch and before you take your afternoon nap on a sunday afternoon on a beautiful rainy day you pull out the bible and you say listen i'm just gonna just going to read part of Matthew 5. I'm just going to read one text, one little line, and see if it says something to me. You know, uh, today I found out that uh, how blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? What does that mean for me, God? That's what I read this morning. What does it mean for you? Well, you're going to have to go home and read it for yourself. See what God's saying to you. Because then you're transformed from the inside out and made new people. Who God already loves, but you can love God back more fully because you've heard God. Well, that's what, uh, that's what I discovered anyway uh, in reading this week's text. Next week, one of several possible uh, practices will come to life in front of you. I just don't know which one it is.